Welcome to Joy Lines News Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Chapman. I got Tyler along with me, but listen, guys, we have uh we have a celebrity in the building today. He comes from he's coming from the District of Columbia, the, you know, the nation's capital. He is the Don of DC, the Don of the Page. It's Manning. What's good? What's going on? <laughs> so we got a lot to get to. Uh, just we'll just get to it. I gotta bust Tyler's balls about golf. He's 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 you know, for too long he's been playing the hater game, but today we're gonna we're gonna silence Tyler, because I think it's time, and then we'll it's talk. It's it is time, but first, <laughs> guys, this is the first time I got you on the podcast since you know they beat the Vikings. Um, what were your thoughts about beating the Vikings, and then what does it mean for them moving forward? Um. Yeah. So. Um, look, man, I've never, I'm not on the bandwagon of everyone like, Hey, look, Goff's a total piece of garbage. Right. I, I, I think he's a good quarterback. And he's playing really well. It's always just been a money thing for me. I think a rookie quarterback gives you a lot of flexibility. Um, and I, I'm just depending on that a little bit right off the rip. I'm thinking, look, man, I, I know that he can be good enough, but I just also don't want to live in the Alex Smith world forever. And, and I want I'm trying to be rational and on both sides here because I want people to see where I'm coming from. No, is I... golf playing? Is golf playing good? Yes, he's playing good. Is but is golf the guy you're going to want to pay forty million to? I don't think so. And then also, is he ever going to get you over that hump? That's remained to be seen. I mean, Alex Smith was consistently eleven and five, eleven and five, ten and six, ten and six, eleven and five. Playoffs every year. Dude played his ass off, but is that that guy that's going to have the special talent to get you over the hump? And I guess that remains to be seen because, you know, I am really appreciating his leadership. He seems to buy into the culture, and the guys seem to really like him. So, you know, if he let's just say it this way. Weeks, up until week four, if you'd have said, hey, Goss are quarterback next year, I probably would have cussed you out. Let's just say now, man, if, if you say, hey, Goff's our quarterback and he's here to stay, I'm not angry about it. Let's just see what he does. Yeah, Manny, what do you think? Well, I got to give him credit. He's been playing really good since uh, after those two bad games that he had, I think, against uh, New England and Dallas. I think the last time we talked about the Seattle game, we were saying he's been doing a good job and he was able to focus on the defense and get more talent there or have something to turn around. But I got to, but right now, if you told me golf was the quarterback of the future, I wouldn't have a problem with it right now. I just think to see. What he can do the rest of the year? Can they go on a run? Can he be a part of that run? And can he continue what he's been doing these past four or five games since the Green Bay game, actually? Yeah. See, here's the thing about Jared Goff. Like Tyler, I bust your balls about Jared Goff all the time because I think that I think that Jared Goff is good enough. Um, but if you're talking about Jared Goff and paying him, I mean, here's a here's the reality of the situation. Um, Jared Goff is the second best quarterback in the NFC right now. I mean, can you, Tyler, can you tell me any quarterback besides Jalen Hurts that's better than Jared Goff right now? I mean, I can definitely, you know, I definitely know, see where you're coming from as far as like how they're playing. Um, for, for me, though, it's like, I don't know, man, it's a consistency thing and it's a payment flexibility thing, right? Yeah. Can you, the reason I think this, it's like, okay. Um, and I'm not, I know there's a lot of Michigan fans in here, so I'm not trying to stir any pots, but say theoretically you take a guy like CJ Stroud, right? I'm not saying I support that. I'm not saying I necessarily hate it. Right. Say you take someone like CJ Stroud, who a lot of people are saying he's got really, really good accuracy, short intermediate accuracy. He doesn't really run, but he has the athleticism where he can kind of move around if he needs to. Like, I, I like the idea of having somebody around that's only 10 to 15 million for the next four or five years while this team is really young because it allows us to go all in and start our window see the, um, one, the only, only it's just tough the only payback i have towards that to be honest though is like you if you you keep saying let's go get a quarterback and let's see if we can get, get someone like that there's a chance that you can go in the drafting so you can get cj stroud and he's Dwayne haskins jr like rest in peace Dwayne haskins great Great quarterback at Ohio State, but Dwayne Haskins was not good at, at in, the, in the pros. The reason I say that is like, is, is Jared Goff's never been great? But can you get somebody who's similar to Jared Goff 
instead of having to pay Jared Goff forty million. That's would, what would be great. I look at it this way: I'd rather go with the one that you know rather than go with the one that you don't know, because you yeah you can get someone like Jared you can get someone as good as Jared Goff or you can get someone as bad as Zach Wilson, you know as bad as Mitch Trubisky, like that's the way that's the way it goes. Like you don't want to be in the situation like the Jets where they have Mike White coming off the bench trying to rally the troops. Like I just don't think that's like the good way of going about it. What do you think, Mio? I mean, right now we get like if I, we we're talking about the quarterbacks, like it's a gamble either way. Like if nope. you go and get a quarterback in the draft, can can either, anyone guarantee that they're going to be any like you could they could be the next Joe Montana, they could be the next Patrick Mahomes, but they could also be the next Brady Quinn or Jamarcus Russell. Yeah. Yep. We can, no, like, I agree with that. Yeah. So like I'm, right now, my point is on Goff, and that's just my take. Like he is playing great right now, but I'm not ready to do the whole quarterback carousel and yeah. and willingly maybe even trade up because if we trade up for a quarterback right now and he doesn't pan out, then that means we wasted not one but two first round picks, and we didn't do anything to help the defense with the first round picks. So well, I'm not, you, I'm not willing to take that risk. And you know, there's something else about this too, is that when you pay a lot of money like that. You are, and I, and I can see why, because you're paying, you're also, just playing devil's advocate here, you're also paying for the certainty of knowing who you're getting and what they're bringing to the table. Yeah. Like, you know that, you know, you know J- Jared Goff's ceiling, you know his floor, and sometimes you got to fork a little extra out because you know that no matter what, you'll get a guy who probably throws for 4,200 yards, 26, you know, 28 touchdowns and between eight and 12 picks, you know, and, um, and, and can win you games. Um, it's just, it, it is risky right now because you're a young team. Do you take that risk and get your cha- franchise changing guy? Or do you say, Hey, we know what we have here. Let's continue to build a team around it. And we, at least we have some stability and certainty on, on the most important position in the, on the field. See, I look at it like the San Francisco 49er model. Like Jimmy G, is he great? Hell no. But is he like is he someone that could like win you games? Yeah. And then you build but up. Don't that... you think they regret paying Jimmy G, you know, thirty million? No, because I think million? I think they regret uh drafting Trey Lance more than they regret paying Jimmy G. Cause I mean you look at it like this. In that Trey with it it if they drafted Micah Parsons instead of Trey Lance, or let's say they drafted uh, Jamar Chase instead of Trey Lance. Well, they, tr- they traded three first rounders, so I mean they mortgaged their future. Yeah, and and they didn't need to. Like they they really didn't need to. If they wanted to trade up, they should have traded up for like a Parsons or Sewell or Chase. Instead, they took a trade Lance who barely played in college. I mean, he, he had that COVID year, but like he wasn't he wasn't he was a Division two product that had was all hype. Like if you ever watch his his games, like he's like um he's like Lamar Jackson without any accuracy. Like that's what it's like, he an athlete, it's like an athletic Carson Wentz. Oh, he's raw too. And yeah. then you gotta and then you gotta take into account his injury now. Like if it's a serious thing that's gonna hinder him going forward, then uh, I don't like I don't know where they go from there with him. Yeah, exactly. I she that's why I just go with the 49ers model. Like I don't wanna I don't wanna risk that and get what you're getting because if you if you go in this draft and you get Jalen Carter and you get uh Cam Smith the Joey Porter Jr., like that would make the defense so much better. And then it's house money after that. Yeah, no, I don't doubt it, bro. And that's why, like, I, you know, I'm really – I think the last – the stretch of games here coming up, you know, getting getting back on track and on point here about coming up on the Jets. This stretch of games, man, I really think we're going to be able to really set aside and dial up um, where we need help, uh, where we look good, where we're confident. I mean, we're playing really good, confident ball. I mean, if we can play like this, if we can put together a whole season like we've been playing – these past, you know, six weeks. I mean, really, we've been playing pretty good all season on offense. If we can add some more t- uh, draft ca- uh, draft talent and we can spend a little money in free agency and, and it, it, you know, continues in the right trend, I mean, you know, what's not broken, man, you know, don't try to fix what's not broken. And, you know, this team can, you know, can easily come out next year and win, you know, 10, 11, 10, 11 games. I mean, so it's going to be a lot to see. You know, it's going to be a, a, a big – 
um, this this hits you know, on audition for the team the rest of this year, man. And this, and this hits on our next topic that Tyler brought up. But I I, I want to know has the culture changed? Because I think it has. I think I think we we can all be in agreement that the culture has changed. I think that the way you look at it is like look at how they've played since that one and six start. I mean, I remember to me and Tyler when we did the post game uh, uh, podcast after the Cowboy game, and Tyler was depressed. He was like, he was. Oh yeah, I remember that. He, he was <laughs> the so past sad. game too, dude. I was sick. I was fit. I was just sick. I was just like, we just came out and got our shit wrecked by Matt Patricia. Like, but, but it, it it shows how good that culture is. So, I mean, we we, we always say culture, 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 but like, to be honest, like the make of a good team is how they come back from adversity. And that this team, they've done that. They won five out of six. Like they're playing good football. They're beating teams that they should beat and more like the Vikings. And they should have beat the bills to be honest. The, the reason that it's funny to bring up culture with you guys and talking that, you know, I, I love shooting the shit with you guys about football and, and us getting on the spot. It's awesome. But the, the cool thing about it is um, Matt Patricia, right? Did anybody see that uh, the Patriots game on Monday? I watched um, Matt, so Matt, yeah. Matt Jones was literally like yelling at Matt Patricia and like telling him to fuck off and like waving his hand at him. <laughs> Wasn't it like the third uh, time this season he's done that? This, and then the week before, <laughs> last week, he told him, run the fucking ball or whatever, or, or you know, pass the fucking ball, dude. And he's yelling at him. Yeah, the and I'm game. like, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, this is this is crazy because it's like, you know, you got another guy just goes to show, man, that these, you know, some of these people, man, uh, just ruin cultures. They they can ruin careers. And uh, that's a guy that is just a straight up like poisonous cancer to have in your locker room. And it was just funny to see that ours is shifting so positively and pretty much New England is just trending in the, the bad direction. And it just shows that our culture is so much different than it was two or three years ago in the, in the Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia era. Like it's just night and day. Well, I mean, you look, you look at how, like, how, like, if you want to look for an example on our team, look at Okuda. I mean, his first year here, like I was instantly worried he was going to be not a bust and it's not, and it wasn't his fault at all because they could not develop players at all. I mean, you look at Okuda, how he's been doing with a coaching staff that can actually develop and help him. You look at, what they did with Jared Davis because Jared Davis, like in 20, his rookie year, actually, he actually had flashes and he actually looked like he looked pretty good, actually. Yeah. Like I was actually looking forward to it. Then Patricia came in and then now all of a sudden he had all those limitations and he was just struggling because, you know, it, it really, the start of a good culture is being able to develop players. Yep. If you can't develop players, then you're not going to win. See, I made it hit it. I right on the, right on the button, dude. Hey, hey, he Stafford right. out of town too. He, he, had, he Yeah, he rode Stanford out of town, Slay out of town, and Diggs out of town. I mean, I, I remember I was talking to someone that I know, and he's a, he's a former player for the Lions, and he played with Caldwell and uh, Matt Patricia. And he said that if, if he wasn't on a contract, he would have punched Matt Patricia in the face. And that's just the way it was. Like, they, yeah. no one liked them. Like, I'm pretty sure no one liked them, obviously, because Diggs was sent out of town. I mean, Stafford basically had to get away because he's like, I can't do this anymore because I don't know what the hell I'm getting myself into next. And then you had, you had Slade, Diggs, all that stuff. And Manning hit, hit it right in the button. Jeff Okuda, the way he got developed when this this coaching staff came in, the first minute they came in this in this, in this this uh, city and they took over the coaching staff, Okuda's looked like a – he's looked like a – he's looked really, really good. He looked like he's a first-round pick. When CB1, he, man. He's looking like a CB1. And look at look at Tracy Walker. I mean, Tracy Walker when Matt Patricia, um, uh, when they drafted him, Tracy Walker didn't look as good as he looks now. Like this no, coaching staff, this coaching staff came in and said, "Listen, it's, just, it's interesting to see, man. It's interesting to." Yeah, no, I, I mean, like you look at it, dude. Like, let's just look at it like this. You think that if uh, Matt Patricia was still here, that this team would be in this position that Dan Campbell has this team in? No, oh, hell no, no, because this team buys no, into what this. This team buys into whatever Dan Campbell says, and I don't care what anybody says. They play with like a lot of heart and a lot of grit. And I know that's like Dan Campbell saying, well, but well, everyone, ma- yeah, go on. Everyone makes fun of them. They're like, oh well, you know, they, they make fun of them about you know being a rah rah and and being you know a cheerleader and and this and that. And it's like you know what? 
it's nice that somebody actually gives a shit about players and gives a shit about the game. And I actually, you know, I really like it, man. The players all, and, and the thing that is, is the players don't just like him or they don't just like to joke with him or be his buddy. They respect him too. Cause yeah. there's times when he says he, he'll get, he'll get pissed and what the hell, you know, what the hell are you doing, man? Get your shit together. And they take him serious and they shape up. Like he, he just has this special way about commanding the room and command and, and leading these guys. It, it, it reminds me, you know, of like a general who goes out to, to war with his guys, man. And, and like suits up and, and like leads them on attack. You know what I mean? Like I'll tell you they respect Dan, him. And, I'll tell you who Dan Campbell reminds me of. Through the room. I'll tell you who Dan Campbell reminds me of. He reminds me of Bill Cower, the way that he, the way he coaches, the way he grins, everything like that. Like the play where uh, Jaron Williams, that kid that they just brought up from the practice squad gets a taunting penalty when the play's on the other side of the field. He says, get his ass out of there. I was like, oh, that's a coach right there. Like, that is a legit coach. Caldwell yeah. would have probably been like, oh, clap, 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 clap. Right. It was yeah. a robot, basically. Jim Schwartz would have went out there and started yelling and taunting with him. <laughs> <laughs> that dude's like, oh, fuck it. You want to go to jail? I'm coming with you, man. Who are we fighting? <laughs> like, that dude was like, man, he was, that guy's a riot, dude. Jim Schwartz was a riot. Manic, you have anything to say? I was just I was trying to uh, basically say, like, Jim Schwartz was crazy as hell. I mean, like, dude would always go out and do something outrageous every game. Like, I remember that San Francisco fight where, like, he that coach shook his hand really hard, and then all of a sudden you got a brawl going on right there. I mean, yeah. You know, <laughs> but, it's a it's a bad sign when your coach is uh, trying to fight other coaches. Like, just, just saying. It's undisciplined. Like, you can't – like, you got, your coach needs to be disciplined too because if you're – you know, these are your troops. You're going to – they're going to – you're leading by example. So, like, you know – Pretty positive we had, like, four arrests that offseason. Oh, my God. We, we led the league in penalties, dude. We led the league in penalties. Dog, we – we read the league and players getting arrested, bro. Titus Young and Ryan Broyles and oh yeah, Titus Young. He was oh my man. God. He had so much talent too. That yeah, was that was the crazy part. Talent. He was so good. Like I was like, man, he's gonna be good. And then he just couldn't get his head on straight. Like that's like, I mean, that's the way it is. But if you don't have a good culture, like we're saying, well, I mean, well, like, well, I said something the other day too. I was talking to some buddies about football, and I said, did you notice something? I said. They, they didn't know. They're, they're into football, but they're not like like we are, like study every aspect of the game. And I said, um, listen, man, I said, you know what? Patricia and Quinn, they hire they, – they brought on yes men and they brought on cowards. And they brought on people that would, you know, bow down and kiss their feet and would do whatever they say, and they, get, they got rid of all the leaders. Everyone that Dan Campbell and um, – has coached and everyone that Brad Holmes has drafted and brought in, they've all been leaders. All seven members of last year's draft were all team captains. Yep. Like he, iron sharpens iron, man. And it's like, you, you know, some people be scared. Like, Oh, well you want a room full of, of alphas? Hell yeah, I do. Because they're going to, they're going to sharpen each other and they're going to be better because of it. I, I don't just, care. If, you just, know? Yeah. Yeah. Just look at what I, Taylor Decker, just, look at Taylor, look what Taylor Decker just said uh, today on the part of my take podcast. Guy played with appendicitis, dude. Like, you imagine appendicitis hurts like hell. You imagine going up against a 285-pound uh, beast that's coming at you, swatting at your, your appendix and all that stuff. Like, hell well, no. Well, well, it's funny because we forget that these guys are human, and it's like, you know, we're, we're sitting here, like, rat, ragging on them or whatever, fans, you know, in the first couple, like, oh, man, Taylor Dorr, he don't look like himself. What's wrong? He don't look like himself. Yeah, well, if you notice in the last five weeks, he's given up, what, zero pressures in the last four games? Yeah, Taylor Decker. Yeah, like, he turned it up, dude. I listen. I think it's. I think the leadership is in that room. It's Decker and it's Rag now, dude. Those guys. Those guys are tough SOBs. Like, remember when? Um, I think it was two years ago that Frank Ragnow played with a fractured neck or something, or fractured throat. Throat. Yeah. 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 yeah he could, I don't think he could speak or something like that. Like, or speak properly. He was, <laughs> he was hurting a lot. He still played through it. Bro, that's 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 like, that is like uh, I I don't I know you guys don't watch hockey, but it's like it's like when you hear a guy playing on a broken leg, you're like, how the hell are you playing on a broken effing leg, dude? Like that's just total team heart, and like if it's especially if it's a leader like Ragnow or Decker, like you know if you know if they walk in a room and those guys, there's a guy that's like, oh my ankle hurts, and he's like, bro, I had appendicitis and I still played. Yeah, no. <laughs> 
Uh, and and it just goes to show, man, it, it's kind of rubbing off on other guys. I don't remember, I don't remember Jonah Jackson being so damn nasty and filthy out there that, that in college. Like that dude, no. I watched the last couple of weeks. He's laid some, he's laid some <laughs> booms, dude. I'm like, I mean, look at look at how many freaking line combinations this team has had. And Jared Goff is like, sack yards lost. It's a stat that you can you can track back to how good your offensive line is playing. He's like the he's like the lowest of every quarterback by far. Like the only one that's closest, yeah. the only one that's closest uh, is Lamar Jackson, and Jimmy Garoppolo, and they've missed games. J- Jared Goff hasn't. But like you, you look at that and you're like, dude, which is weird because they're like disrespecting our like our line in these rankings I've been watching, I've been looking at, I like know. straight disrespect, bro. You said they were they had us like ten or something like that, right? Like uh, like we yeah, were, they had Green Bay like two or three. Like, if we were like, number one, like that wouldn't surprise me at this point because well, you have all these. One, that one jackass from at the athletic, the uh, computer cowboy, whatever the hell his name is, he's a computer dumbass. Uh, he had him like he had like he had him like twenty seventh, dude. Huh. Like, like well, they, they were using some PFF uh, measurement, but PFF when, I mean, you guys know PFF with their ratings for offensive line is just straight up stupid. Like, it doesn't even make any sense. Their like their ratings for offensive line is probably the most skewed. They, I definitely can agree with in line with some like a lot of their like ratings for defense and like receivers and running backs. Like they do a pretty good job for the most part. But when it comes to offensive line, I don't know what the hell metrics they're using, but their their rankings are are whack. Yeah, I don't have their rankings to be honest with the offensive line. Yeah, I, I don't I don't value any of those rankings. I think it, I think it just shows that like half those people that work at PFF they don't even watch the game pretty much because like if you watch the game. You watch the Lions and you watch like the Eagles. You go, those are the two best offensive lines in football. Next, in the 49ers, too. Th- those are the three best lines in football. Like, they just dominate you at the line of scrimmage. Every one of them. Like, it, there's, tell me a, a offensive line that has the star power like the Lions have besides the uh, Eagles. I mean, you got Sewell, yeah. you got Ragnow, you got Decker. Oh, let's mix in a little Jonah Jackson. Boom. Yeah, people sleep on Jonah Jackson. He was a he was a pro bowler last year. Yeah, Jonah Jackson's a baller, dude. Like he, the kid plays with so much meanness. Like he, dude, he like he likes to he likes to mix it up. But you know, the one guy that I've been I was surprised with when he started playing was that Coyote, uh, the Coyote kid. I mean, he came yeah. in here. He started his first NFL game against Buffalo of all of all teams. Welcome to the NFL. You play Ed, you play Ed Oliver for your first you know time out. Then the second game he goes out, he plays a good game. Yeah, I mean that. That's what I was talking about too. Um, with the, the past episodes that we've ran, dude, I, and I'll, I'll bring it up again. This is probably my eighth time bringing it up this season. We're developing these positions where we can kind of we can have a plug and play rotation, and we know that no matter what, no matter who goes in there, we have the right scheme, we have the right coaching, and we have the right eye for talent. That we can we can continue to put together a good unit. That is big time when it comes to contract extensions, yep. and when it comes to deciding who to cut and who to trade. I mean, that's huge, dude. Because, dude, we how many teams can how many teams do you know can roll out there with their fourth string guard, mm-hmm. their second string tackle, their second string their third string center. Yep. And then, you know, Dan Skipper as their other guard, mm. and they still came out there and, and put a, you know, gave a hell of a game. There's yeah. not a lot of teams that you can put third and fourth stringers out there and have a competent line. I mean, the only teams that you could say is like the Eagles, maybe. Which, Cowboys, you, which is Cowboys. insane because how many years have we literally been like, oh my God, if we had an offensive line, oh my God, our offensive right. line sucks. We're watching like, Steph, we're we're watching Stafford get his ass kicked every week, and we're like, "Come on, dude, just give give the kid give." But the you kid. know one one thing I did see, and I and I was critical of Stafford about man, and I don't always think it was necessarily always the Lions' fault because Stafford has a really bad habit, still does, of holding onto the ball way too long. Yeah, yeah, a lot he of placed himself were, into sacks. Yeah, a lot of those sacks were him holding the ball too long and trying to make something happen when he didn't have to. Like it's just a gunslinger in him. Just trying to force force something or keep the ball too long. So yeah. it wasn't it wasn't all the offensive line, but one thing I will give uh um, like Bob when I know where I know like we're probably gonna get smashed. I'm gonna get smashed for this, but uh 
he did go and get a lot of this offensive line talent in the drafts, like this with his picks. He got Decker in the first round. He got Ragnow yeah. in the first round. Then he got Jonah Jackson in the third round. So, yeah. but so rarely do you have a rebuild where like Brad Holmes can come in and it's like, oh, this O line is actually almost done. We just need to get one more stud, Sewell, and then we pretty much completed it. No, that's well, a good point. Hey, that's man, good, I'm not gonna. That's a good point, uh, Manic. Because, I mean, let's be honest. Like w- he came in, Brad Holmes came in, and he's like. All right, I could work with this. I'm going to add one more guy, and that could be a finishing piece, and then I work on the rest of the team. Well, I mean, I, I, that's what I'm thinking too. Is like you, you got to be good at something. So the fact that he was able to to, to put together some good offensive line talent, man, is, is was awesome. So but let's let's you know, talk. About, I mean, if we're going to be if we're going to talk about Bob Coombe, you got to talk about Hank Fraley, because that's a guy that's been coaching him for since Patricia was here. I mean, Hank Fraley. Oh, I, I love Fraley. I, Hank I love Fraley might be the most important coach on the staff by far. I know people like Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn and all that stuff. I know <laughs> Tyler doesn't like Ben Johnson, so, but like, <laughs> I, I, no, 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 no. I do like Ben Johnson. <laughs> I I like Ben Johnson a lot. He's a he's the best coordinator we've had in a long time. What I don't like is the fact that he will like dial up he he like dials up these crazy aggressive plays on third and short and fourth and short or he comes out of halftime in the whole third quarter we're just fucking snoozing i i get you there but hank, hank fraley is the, hank fraley is one of the most important guys on the staff by far this 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 offensive line plays for him and i think uh, you know if deuce Staley goes and gets another job in the offseason like you make associate head coach uh um hank fraley because that guy we have to keep because he's he is a legit He's a legit guy, like the guy. Who was the guy the Patriots had, like Stukowski or whatever? He was a he. He was like seventy years old. He's still coaching offensive lines. Like, damn, dude, this guy was coaching offensive line when Nagurski was a freaking linebacker. Hey, I mean, it's one of those things, man. Where, um, you know, like I said, when you when you get those positions that you can continually run a carousel, that I mean, you know that you never have to worry about offensive line, and that's that's a great thing. You know, there there's. I think there's a lot of young budding stars on our defense and I think, or on our coaching staff, I meant. Um, and it's going to be really cool to see. I really like Cal, uh, Calvin Shepard as our linebackers coach. I really like him there. I love Hank Fraley. I love Deuce Staley as our, uh, as our running back coach. And I think it's awesome that he like challenges and butts heads with, with Swift so much. Like he'll literally be getting the shit and be like, dude, he'll be like, you know, stop running like a bitch, like get your head down and, run through somebody or like bounce inside. Stop trying to bounce everything outside. It's just, it's cool to see these coaches aren't afraid to challenge these players with them being former players themselves. They already gain respect from these guys. But I think that coach, like the position coaches have been such an underrated element to our success and our game lately. Yeah. We've been talking about the culture, but I think the one, I think the one coach that really gets undervalued in this whole offense is Antoine Randall. Cause like if you look at the way these wide receivers block, like dude, they play with they. they he's bringing the Pittsburgh mindset to the, this wide receiver core. Cause if you ever notice, like Amon Ross St. Brown, he loves to hit people. James Williams comes in, knocks this guy, this one guy over. Like holy crap! Like they just straight up freaking bowls him over. Like you could kind of see this is what they want from their wide receivers. They want to be physical and they want to they want to inflict pain on the other guys. And like that's a total Pittsburgh uh, wide receiver thing like you look back at Heinz Ward guy used to like absolutely demolish just, safeties I was just gonna say they give me like the vibes right now of like Heinz Ward Mike Wallace like yeah where, yeah where they, they, just, they just say screw you dude we're about to, we're about to kick your ass like that's exactly what they are well I think this kind of goes into this is why I was excited when I saw I started seeing the coaching hires that Campbell was making because you could see like he was bringing all these guys in, and then they kept Hank Fraley because the offensive line said, "Hey, let, let's keep him." Because these 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 coaches, like when Patricia was bringing in his coordinators and all that, I was like, "Wait, who is this guy?" And he's not going to be any good. Like <laughs> when we when you bring these guys in, like you see, like you just you guys brought up how important they are, how what they do, and everything. Like you like that's huge because you want guys, you want coaches that are going to be future head coaches someday. Like you can look at. Ben Johnson, Aaron Glenn, Deuce Staley. You know, a lot of these guys are going to be head coaches someday or coordinators too. Yeah. I think the one guy that gets is uh, Wash, the guy who's a defensive line coach. Because I think that, like, the way that – I know this is Tyler's boy, and we're going to play – this. We're gonna, 
we're going to hit on this in this segment because I know Tyler loves this kid. But if you look at the way that this team, these defensive linemen are, are progressing and getting better every week, like a guy like James Houston, a guy like Aiden Hutchinson. No problem! <laughs> <laughs> no. Guy, like, like, you look at the way that they these guys have gotten better. Like, Aiden Hutchinson the other day, like, he he was powering these guys all the way through the game. And then he just he just turns on a swim move, and he just makes this offensive lineman look like a like he was standing still. Listen, man, I I'm gonna take this I'm gonna take this as a segment right into the James Houston segment that I wanna that I wanna talk about, um, and because we kind of gotta start getting into the kind of the whole uh, preview against the Jets here. Yeah. Um, this this dude, man, I uh, I know that you know a lot of people are high on him after his, his good rookie. Um, year so far, he's had four sacks and only uh, 37 snaps, right? So to, for people that um, aren't aware or, or don't follow, most every down players, they play anywhere between 40 and 60 snaps a game, yep. right? So you got a guy who's got four sacks and basically a full game's worth. Now I understand some guys are situational. Some guys only play only passing downs, um, but still. So you got a guy, four, four sacks and 37 snaps. If you watch this young man, dude, James Houston, if you watch this guy, he can dip and bend so low under these tackles. It is insane. It's like it's literally it's it's young Von Miller, bro. And I don't care if anyone wants to drag me or say I'm stupid or say I'm silly. I was listening to this to, for that I'm comparing a sixth round rookie to Von Miller. Um, but watch the tape because this dude gets so low and he and he does it so quickly he dips under these uh, these tackles he dips under their hands and dips under their shoulders and gets under their shoulder blade and gets under their outside arm that shit is elite bro that's elite bend and that is something that you're not going to see from most people in this league and he will be a very important piece to this defense for years to come because i watched a lot of i was watching a lot of tape on him the other day and uh, well, what what we have, and I was watching a lot of young Von Miller tape, man. And I'm just, I'm telling you, the comparisons are there and they're real. And I would not be surprised if this guy was a double, uh, a double digit sack guy every year. If yeah. We play him right. Yeah, I, I think, I think James Houston is, uh, he's definitely a problem for for offenses because, like. He's he's a little bit lighter than Aiden Hutchinson. Obviously, he's like a hybrid size dude. He's like six four, two fifty. Yeah, he's like two fifty. So like, this guy's this guy's not like he's not your typical you know prototype defensive end like Aiden Hutchinson who's six seven. You know, but he's a guy. He just the way he bends, dude. He, I've never he, seen someone get that low like that and like just he, dude. And it's like it's with such a quickness. Like they'll have their hands up to block. You know, like that move against Jacksonville, everyone was like, oh, the stutter step, right? It was so fun. It was cool. Like, oh, my God, he, stutter, he, he hesitated on me. He stutter stepped him, which was fine. But the move I was watching was right after that stutter step. He goes up, engages, and then dips in a fucking millisecond and yeah. just gets right underneath that tackle. Well, well TJ Lang, it was, it was on a ticket, and uh, he was like, you know, usually you see that move in, like, practice and everything. And, like, then a veteran tackle will be like, dude, that's not going to work. But then this guy does it in a freaking game as a rookie. He's he's a he's he's legit, dude. Like he, the first time he got to play, he gets two sacks against the Buffalo Bills, and like, five snaps. Right. Basically, yeah. <laughs> like it's that's just the way. That's like that. That's what I'm talking about. Like the man, like Manic. What do you think? Uh, like I was like that. Jack, going back to that Jacksonville play, like he literally looked like a damn Mario step. Like how he just did. How he just took that bounce. He just like. Here we go, and then just went right underneath the sack. And it was great. Uh, it looked like a Mario jump for real. So I want you just animate. So I want you just put that like an anime, like animate. <laughs> it's great. Dude, he, but, he yeah, that was like I was just yeah, I was, yeah. That was the most insane play I've ever but, seen from like anybody. Yeah, and Tyler, Tyler hit it right on the head. He he gives me like if anyone wants to criticize Tyler, they can criticize me too because he gives me like those young Von Miller vibes, like the way he moves, his speed. Uh, I, but again, we got to give credit to the coaching staff because he didn't look this way in preseason. But yeah. when he, when Shepard and the D line worked, the coaches worked with him. They helped him get to this point. So again, well, it's, it's about the development of players and Brad Holmes' ability to draft too. Well, some of these guys, dude, they, some of these scouts and some of these teams, they're like, 
oh, well, he played at a small school or, or he didn't play much competition. He must not be good. Dude, he had 16 and a half sacks last season. Yeah, one year. Like, you know, in one year. I mean, like, regardless of where you play, bro, not, 95% of the people that listen to this podcast couldn't even get 16 and a half sacks if they played on a freshman against the freshman team. Yeah. And that's just facts, bro. I mean, like, seriously, like, you go down to a, a class A Division One school and you try to, you know, you want to you want to be tough and go suit up against 11th graders, bro. I don't even think you can get 10 and a half sacks in the season with that. That shit is tough, dude. I mean, and he was doing it, you know, at an FCS school. But it doesn't always mean that just because you tear it up somewhere doesn't mean you can't tear it up at the next level. And Brad Holmes is like some sort of savant with these draft picks, dude. If you continue to hit in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, just build the statue. Dude, I, just look at the way he's built building this team. Like, uh, we keep talking about the culture, and we talked about James Houston, but like, look at it, dude. Like, Rodriguez, sixth-round pick, diamond in the rough, dude. Kid plays with, like, that kid plays so tough. Like, he is your – he is he's a Dan Campbell-type player. And then you got Derek Barnes, <laughs> Derek Barnes, who's getting better. I mean, let's, let's not even factor in. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is a fifth-round pick who – there was a bunch of wide receivers taken above him. This guy has such a freaking heart on that he doesn't he he wasn't taken earlier that he remembers every freaking wide receiver that's that he was you know that's drafted before him and their schools too but right I mean this guy's Brad Holmes is drafting guys that like have a point to prove like I I think the I think the one I took away was um, was uh, James Houston like he said like there was people that um when he was in a draft process they were like. So how's Dion? You know, how's Dion? Brad Holmes comes in there and goes, So how can you help my team? Like that's exactly what that's dude, that's just the way you do it. Like Brad Holmes, he showed he showed in uh, LA that he could draft, obviously. He was one of their he was their college scout guy. But he has the people around him there that are like like uh, John Dorsey and Chris Spielman and Ray Agnew that could be like, Yeah, I like this player too. Oh yeah, dude, and I'm I'm excited, man. I really am. What do you think, man? Yeah, I think it's good. Cause I like I, we go back to the draft. He's getting guys that are not only talented, but he's getting guys with chips on their shoulders. I mean, Jared Goff himself, like, dude, has a chip on his shoulder because of how what happened in L.A. Um, you you know, uh, Sewell thought he probably should have gone sooner. He has a chip on his shoulder too because honestly, he with how the drafts were going, he should have gone sooner. Jerry Jacobs is an undrafted rookie. Who yeah. has a chip? On, who, who has a huge chip on his shoulder for being that way? Now he's our second cornerback. Okuda has a chip on his shoulder. Uh, you know, just you know, uh, James Houston has a chip on his shoulder. Hell, even Aiden Hutchinson. I think that. Yeah, I think Dan Campbell has these guys too. He has this mindset instilled in these guys that it's like you don't deserve a damn thing. You wake yeah. up every you wake up every day, and you don't. You're not entitled to shit. You're gonna work for it, and yeah. you're gonna you know you're gonna go out there and you're gonna do it. That's why he sat. A a guy who's fringe All Pro last year, which I thought was fraudy, anyways. Amani Arawarie, a guy who was a Pro Bowler last year and was you know led was like third in the league in picks. He sat his ass down halfway through the season and said, you know you you didn't you don't deserve to play today. And I think huh. that's the mindset. Every single Sunday, you re earn your spot on this team. Every single day of practice and every single game day. And the one thing I. Yeah, the one thing I like about it, uh, Dan Campbell and the way he coaches is, like, you, you look at the way he rewards players for doing good. Like, James Houston has a big game against Buffalo. You know what they do? Bring him up and sign him to active roster. Like, they found a spot for him pretty quick. Uh, Coyote, he comes in there. They they start him the next game. Like, I don't really think that, you know, there was coaches in the past, like Jim Caldwell, he'd have a guy, he'd have a guy that would come out of nowhere, and he'd, he'd be like, oh, I'll just I'll mix him in sometimes. Meanwhile, we got Aaron Rodgers back there in the in week 17. I was at that game, and he's running around for fucking like 20 minutes, like trying to find someone right. open. I'm like, I'm like, dude, what? Why ain't you putting this guy in the game? Like, this guy could actually like get to the passer. Like, he's shown he can get to the passer. Why can't you put him in the game? But that's that's some of the things that these coaches that we had in in Detroit. Yeah, just, I remember, yeah, I, I agree with that completely. I started to piggyback off you, but I remember in 2016 against uh, Dallas, I think, Zach Zenner was actually killing them in the first half of the game. And they were tied at 21. And then he, for some reason, they took Zach Zenner out of the game. And then the Cowboys just scored 21 straight because they didn't have a run game or because they took him out, which made zero sense to me whatsoever. 
yeah, I, I I like the way that Dan Campbell and his coaching staff they they play they play these guys like like Justin Jackson he gets he gets a good run they keep him in the game they keep giving him carries like they're keeping all these backs fresh and like the one thing I like about it is like we haven't had to use DeAndre Swift like an every down back and I I, I can't wait to use him later in the season when you know this run game is gonna get going again and I, I like they're gonna play some teams in the cold where they could probably just run over them. Well, I think that's a big thing that we're going to be worrying about. Uh, or, uh, that's a big thing this week as uh, we, we go up against the Jets. Is, is something I always talk about in the pod, too, and, and a recurring theme that we all have amongst ourselves is that it's just always next man up. How can, you know, how can we all contribute to a team? I don't know if I've ever seen, and I'm not even exaggerating, I don't know if I've ever seen a Lions team that's more selfless and like about the team like this is an actual team and I think these guys all really care about the team they all put the team first and they all really care about each other and it's rubbing off on guys who may not naturally be like that now I'm not saying that like like Jason Williams I'm not saying he's like a selfish me 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 guy but you could tell that there's probably a little bit of a a diva and a dog in him that you know he's got a lot got a certain swagger to him you know and, and he talks his shit but these guys are rubbing off on them in a very positive way. And I just think that these guys are all like very, very team oriented. And I think that takes you further than you realize. There's no me, me, me players on this team. No, I don't yeah. think there's any room for it. Yeah. That's the thing. Like with you know, these guys don't really have many egos. Like with Jameson Williams, like when every, like when I watched them on the sidelines, like, like during the Washington game, like when they were winning, he was celebrating with them. He was like doing handshakes with St. Brown. Like he, like, he was already like a, like one of the guys within the team. Like all these guys have don't have much egos. They have chips on their shoulders, and I think Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell knew what they were getting and doing when they traded up for James Williams because he's not he's not a big talker. He's he doesn't really have like he he might have a little bit of an ego, but he he wants he just wants to ball because like I just saw him and like when he was playing in Alabama, he only showed like big emotion, smile when he was playing football, and the same thing here. He, he's showing it when he's on the field. So if he lets us, if he lets that do the talking, I'm perfectly happy with him. Yeah. Well, and, how, and how much, how important, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. I was going to say, well, how, how important though is that to guys too, when you bring new guys and new faces and new ki- kids in that are, you know, you can, you go to a, a, an egotistical train wreck of a team and they turn into, you know, whatever the product of their environment, you bring these guys into this team and how we're operating we can be very impressionable on these guys very early in their careers. And I think it's going to like speak volumes for, Players want to be in Detroit. Well, well I can put, I'm, it, my bad. I can put an example out there. Do you remember? You guys remember Pittsburgh when they had Le'Veon Bell, Ben, yep. Big Ben, Antonio Brown, and then how that corrupted the team and how they were like getting to the playoffs, but they weren't going anywhere. And then that's what they left Juju turned into a cancer too. Yeah, I think that like you look at this team, like I think when players come into this team, they're met by the the leaders of the team like Rags and and Dex and and you know Sewell and all those guys. And, like, they're told, like, you're going to play this way and you're going to do it this way. Because, like, I remember I was reading some, I was read, I was reading an article about when uh, Antonio Brown came in the league, like, he wasn't, he didn't act the way he acted later on. ATV. Yeah, but he, but he had. Um, yeah, it's called uh, Vontez Perfect, uh, smoking yeah, yeah. you in the head. That that was, that was, <laughs> but he was, he never acted, you know, there were, they never, Pittsburgh used to never have divas on their team. I mean, and then when there was players that started to leave, like Villanueva and guys that were, like, team leaders, that's when you started to see, like, them act out, like, like be non-team players. But you look at Jameson Williams, like, the guy just wants to play with the he, – like, the way he put that block on that one Minnesota player, like, that's just – that's, like, that's like a staple. That's, like, the way they play. And that's – that's he, it shows that he bought into what the coaches are saying, what the other wide receivers are saying, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, plus he's always played like that too. Like the uh, the inside the then draft episode, they were saying, "Hey, are you gonna keep, are you gonna keep blocking?" Like, or some guys say that, but they don't do. And he's like, "No, this is how I play. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna change that. Program. I'm going, I'm gonna block, and I'm gonna take pride in it." So they already knew from that moment. Yeah, he's the kind of kind of receiver we want on his team. Flashy, but he's not. But he's willing to block and do all that. Yeah, bring him, bring him here. I mean, just look at just look at it this way. He went and played for Nick Saban. Like, you go play for Nick Saban. There's no bullshit allowed. Like you're not allowed to do stupid stuff. Nick Saban will kick your ass. Like that's just the way it is. 
he Plus, comes, he willingly went there too. So yeah, he willingly went to Alabama. I said, "Listen, I'll I'll deal with it." He he goes up and ends up being one of the best players on the Alabama team, just showing out everyone. I mean, obviously at a torn ACL, or else I think Alabama would have won the national championship last year. Yeah, yeah, they, they were they were close, man. Yeah, I got. See, like that team that that Alabama team, they were better than Georgia in a little bit, like offensively. I thought, like, if Jameson Williams played Georgia in the national championship, like, I think he can give them problems because they just sat back and just waited for them to run the ball and pass the ball. Jameson Williams is a he's a game breaker, dude. Yeah, he definitely is. Like, he, he just the way he is. Like, I was so happy when they took him because I knew like he he's disciplined. He went to a discipline program. He knows what he needs to do. Um, but I couldn't be happier with him. And he's going to get even more reps this week. So that's what's coming up. Yeah, well, like, uh, go ahead, Tyler. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, um, you know, we as a team in the past, uh, you know, we um, always have tended to let these these guys come in and have these career games. And, um, you know, I think – going up against the the Jets and, and using letting our playmakers shine and, and actually, you know, stopping some of these guys from breaking these big plays, you know, that's going to be huge, man. We've been limiting a lot of big plays the last five or six weeks. Um, and we have some of our young guys that are, are coming into their own and making these big plays like Jameson Williams and Amon Ra and, you know, the team's just clicking on all cylinders. So, you know, we got to, we can't have a SOL performance where we let where we let Mike White come this week and just you know take a crap on our chest. We uh we have to like stop this guy and we have to limit this offense. And this is going to be another showing, just like we talked a couple weeks ago, Joe, about Dan Campbell going against these other coaches who people were praising. Remember, remember, remember six weeks in, everyone's like, "Well, look at Brian Drabel. He's seven and one, and Dan Campbell sucks because he's one and six. Yeah, the how. How the how the um you know the how the turntables, buddy? You know they got uh, the uh, Giants are seven what, seven five and one, and the, yeah. and the Lions are six and seven creeping up. You can't there, judge a guy in his first twenty games, man. He's going head to head against Robert Sala. Lions fans wanted him bad. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna Sala, see what it looks like. Sala's from here too. I I know it's his family, but you know here's the thing about it. Like Dan Campbell, when he he got when he uh, went against. You know, people were when we, I remember those shows, Tyler, where people were saying Dayball was a better coach and blah 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 blah. Like you can see the wheels coming off the Giants right now. Like you can really see them coming off. Like they don't have they're they're they've hit the schedule part of the schedule where they ain't blessed with playing you know garbage teams like they did earlier in the season, like Houston and all that stuff. Right. Dan Campbell comes out. These he, you know being one and six. That's a that's pretty much like uh oh like we're we're in trouble. But for him to pull out five out of six in the you know in the last you know six, I mean that just shows you how good how much this team believes in him. And I think that's more impressive than the run that Dable had that have start the season because I, I, I think it's a lot. I think it, I think it says a lot more about a coach when he comes from one and six instead of seven and one. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting I'm. I'm I'm trying to keep myself from getting emotional, man, because seriously, if don't you give up on these freaking people, man, who give up, give their everything for you. And just because they're, it's the start of rebuild 20 games in, you're ready to drop this guy. And I'll never forget every time I wake up on Twitter and I see those assholes at Woodward's praising Dan Campbell, acting like they weren't calling for his job and saying that they wanted him to fall off the face of the earth and that he sucked. And all of a sudden they're praising him and, you know, slobbing his knob. And, and that shit pisses me off, dude, because you, when you find somebody good, you don't just run them out of town. You give them a chance. And I hope this is a lesson to every Lions fan that, you know what? I get it. You people that have been fans for years, I get it. You're used to the SOL. You're used to this and that. It takes time and you got to give somebody a damn chance, especially someone who cares as much as this coaching staff cares. And all you people who are riding on the bandwagon, you know, it's like, look, it's going to happen because that's what people do. But in the same breath, don't think that we forgot all that extra shit you were talking, man. You've got to give these guys a chance. You've got to give time. There's, there's time 
is going to be needed to turn these things around. You need talent, you need players, you need scheme, and you need trust and belief. And I'm just, you know, everybody forgot about their opinions when we were one and six. Yep. You know, besides the people that actually thought about things logically. And it's just something I had to get off my chest, man, about, you know, next time we get in a rut or you think things aren't going well, don't don't be so damn quick to jump on people's throats. You're calling a second overall pick a bust after week fucking six? <laughs> what is wrong with you? No, I mean, here, here's how it is, dude. You remember when I, we were having those shows and I told you, I told you, I think they're going to, I think Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn will get it together and I think they will string along some wins. Now, I didn't think they string along wins like they have. But, like, I wasn't ready to throw in the towel because I've seen stranger things happen. And here's the reality. They were playing hard against good teams. Every team that they lost to in that six-game stretch, that seven-game stretch to start the season, they're all playoff teams. Like, look yeah. at Eagles. I mean, the Patriots are in the they're, – they're technically in the playoffs, but they're barely hanging on. But, like, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Seahawks. Like, I know the Seahawks are probably going to fall off too. But, like, let's just be honest. Like, at the time, they were playing some good football teams, and they were keeping pace with them. And now that they've, you know, they're starting to play some, you know, teams that are not that great, that are kind of overrated. I mean, Buffalo's not overrated, but like a team like the Vikings, I, I thought they were vastly overrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, listen, there's a reason a five and seven team was uh was a two point favorite against a ten and two team. Let's just say that. Well, I said it on the podcast. I don't know if you guys listen, probably not, but. <laughs> 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 but I said on the podcast, like well, when I was doing it by myself, I was like, listen, the, the Lions are going to win. They're going to beat the Vikings because you look at the Vikings, dude, you know how hard it is to win nine straight games in one score games? Like, this is the NF freaking L, dude. Like, you don't just win these one score games at all the time. Like, it just doesn't happen. Like, look at well, the Lions. Yeah, you're playing, with, you're playing with fire at that point. Look at look well, at the Lions. They were in all these one score games with the Eagles, with the, the Seahawks, with the – but the Cowboys at one point, and just one play changes everything. And for the Vikings, they get that lucky where they're nine and zero to start, you know, nine and zero in one score games to start the season. Like hell, dude, that's that's so freaking ridiculous. Well, it's just luck. Like the the Vikings give me Giants vibes because I was looking at the before the Lions played the Giants. I was looking at like how they were doing, and they were like, oh, they're seven two. And I'm like, wait, one score, two, three. Wait, all their, all their wins are by one score. Like, what's so impressive about them? They're just getting lucky, and they're, and quite frankly, they, they don't look they don't look impressive. And I looked at the Vikings, and like, outside of week one, wait, one score, two, two, three, four. Wait, all these are one-score games. They're the same way. They, yeah. They've been playing with five. And do you, guys, do you guys know that the Vikings' defense is now ranked worse than the Lions' defense now? Yeah, I told, oh, I, told wow. I, I told people that. And then, oh, oh yeah, they're giving up like four hundred yards a game. Dude, yeah, they got they got they got, they got sliced by Mac Jones. Like Mac yeah, Jones, Mac Jones had three hundred and forty three yards. Now I tell you what, I like Mac Jones to be honest because I think he's I think he's decent. But like Matt Patricia's offense, like there's no way that a quarterback like Mac Jones and a Patricia offense, he's not even the offensive coordinator, should carve you up for three hundred twenty three yards. Like yeah, how, but, yeah, I don't, I don't get how that's possible, and I then, quite frankly, they should be ashamed of themselves for even allowing that. Well, um, Mike, Mike White went in there and, and and he threw for what four hundred twenty nine yards. Like Mike White threw for four hundred twenty nine yards at your house. They like, should, you, yeah, yeah, honestly, the Jets should have won that game if they just converted like one more time in the red zone. They would have won that game. I'm more scared right now of the Jets. Like the the, the Jets scare me way more than Minnesota. Yeah, I think the Jets are they're a sneaky team and I think that, you know, this week is going to tell a lot about this team moving forward because but here's the thing, they got they got a big injury with Quinn and Williams. If he doesn't play, like that's a huge loss for them. Yeah, I think that if we beat I think if we we beat the Jets and if we beat them soundly, like if we come in a manhandle this team, I think that we're I mean, I'll just I'm going to start buying I'm going to start saving up for playoff tickets saying if we come out here and we spank the Jets um, if you look at that, man, we have the Giants and Washington play, and um, please don't let them tie they, again. They they <laughs> both need to lose, or the Seahawks need to lose two of their next four, and they play San Fran this week. And they play and the Chiefs either, next week. Either the Giants or the Commanders need to lose two out of four, and they play each other. So yeah. no matter who wins that game, it's good for us. Well, um, I, I look at it so, like this. I look at you know, this. We're all right. 
I think the Giants are about to fall off the face of the earth, dude. Because like, I think yeah, the I, I think the Commanders go and beat them this week, and I think they get their ass kicked by Philly because like that's just the reality. But tomorrow's game really scares me for the Lions' playoff hopes because you know they play San Francisco plays the uh, the Seahawks, and we don't know who's playing quarterback for San Francisco. So that's that's what scares me. But the only thing that doesn't scare me is that defense that that is San Francisco has. They're freaking good, dude. Like they are really good. They'll be fine. I, I'm sure San Fran will handle their business. I'm more I'm more concerned about the Jets right now because we have to win this game before we can even think about those kind of circumstances. Oh, oh for sure. Here's the thing about that, Manic. Like, uh, you know, you look at the Jets, dude, and like. There's not really much that scares you about that team. I mean, like, if you're being honest with yourself, because, like, like, Mike White, if, if he started. Yeah, I mean, I mean, no Brees Hall, no Quentin Williams. Right. I mean, if Quentin Williams doesn't play, that's huge. Their defense is what scares me. Like, not, I don't you know, Like, their offense is, like, with borderline average at times. Like, like they so, couldn't even yeah, score. They're mid for sure. They couldn't score against the Vikings defense in the red zone. I mean, come on now. That's 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 not that good. Plus, Mike White's hurt, too. So, you're getting him hurt, and you're getting them, like, at a good time. But they're still, like I said, they still scare me way more than Minnesota. No, I agree with that. I mean, they, they've only allowed 208 yards passing uh, this year, 111 on the ground. I mean, their offense is pretty, pretty crappy. But here's the thing. Like, I think this is a game where Jared Goff, like, they have to come in with a good game plan and scheme – away from uh, Sauce Gardner. I mean, Sauce Gardner, is he's him and Hutch are going to be the rookie of the years by far. I mean, you look at both those guys, they're, they are instant impact kind of guys, and, and Sauce is a big part of that. Um, but I look at this game like this, guys, like, for being honest, like, I don't really fear the Jets. Like, I don't think the Jets are this, like, um, amazing team. Like, I, I really don't. Like, I think that they're, like, there's – Garrett Wilson that scares me a little bit, but besides that, like I don't fear Just put anybody. Akuda on. Yeah, I don't fear anybody on the offensive side of the ball. The only thing I, I, I think we're gonna have to play a defensive game, and I think the Lions are okay with it. Let's run the ball. Let's get let's get the pass game working with the play action, and I think that they could win this game. But I think you know you look at the way the Jets have played in their last five. I mean, they played close games against everybody except they beat the crap out of the Chicago Bears and. They beat the Bills a couple, you know, in the middle, the beginning of November. But, I mean, they lost the game 10-3 to the Patriots. That was absolutely horrible. So, I, I don't I don't, I don't, really fear this game. I don't know what you guys think. It's not that I fear them. Like, I don't get me wrong. I don't fear them. I, I think the Lions are going to win this, no no questions. Because I think, like, don't get me wrong, Sauce is probably going to win Rookie of the Year. I, I think the kid's going to be the best corner in the league one day. Yeah. Like, name it out. Time, but definitely at some point best corner in the league. But I mean, the Lions have too many weapons. You have Parkins come on this last couple of games; like he's been killing it. Jamo's going to get maybe more rest. Hopefully, he plays like half half the game, half the time the offense is in. So you have him getting involved. You have St. Brown in the slide. Reynolds seems like his back is feeling better because he's got a, he got a lot more targets yep. against uh, Minnesota. And then you have Khalif Raymond coming off as well. So you. And then yes, Swift Williams out of the backfield and golf's been diming. So, but I, mean, I think they're going to go with kind of the same strategy. My bad. I, I think they're going to go with the same strategy that they did with uh, the Giants. They're probably going to pound the rock a lot this game. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think that I think this is a healthy this offense has been. You know, with Goff uh, behind center. I mean, like Reynolds is back, uh, Jameson came back, Chark is back, Swift is back to full function. So. I like this team. I think that they I think they can go into New York and, and definitely win. I just think here's the thing though, Manic. Like I I I'm 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 interested to hear what you have to say about this though, but like you look at the Jets, dude, like is there a player that you fear on the Jets besides like Garrett Wilson? Are you talking about on offense? Yeah, on offense, yeah. Cuz on off on on offense like you know, with how Okuda's been playing, like I can really just see him uh, just locking him, not locking him down, but not letting him get out of hand, kind of like how he's been doing like at the beginning of the year, just with him coming back off his sickness. But, you know, I, I, I actually read a couple of articles. They're actually phasing like a guy like Bryson Berrios out of the offense because he's not been playing well. And 
if Mike White's hurt and how their all-line doesn't really hold up too well, you can go and, and get some sacks on him because I think you can probably get around three or four. And, you know, I don't wish anything bad on his health or anything, but I definitely think if you get pressure on him, he's not going to be accurate. And if he's he, not going to be accurate, you're going to force that, turnovers. That hit he took last week was absolutely freaking awful. Like, he got absolutely nailed. But, like, you know, you look at this. You yeah, he look got, at this. He got mul- yeah, he got yeah, multiple he, hits, actually, in the same area. Yeah, and Oliver absolutely killed him in that one play, though, where it looked like his whole body was going up to heaven. I mean, like <laughs> like you said, though, like Garrett Wilson and Okuda, like, okay, I'll take that. And then if you put you put Corey Davis, if he plays on, on uh, Jerry Jacobs, okay, I'll take that, too. Like, I don't fear anybody on the offense. This is the defense that I, I really I – really, I'm really worried about for the, for the Lions putting, you know, with their offense – because like C.J. Mosley is one of the most underrated linebackers in in the in the league. If Quentin Williams plays, he's one of the best oh, rushers. And it's like it's like man, like that's a really good freaking team on defense. Like they really, they're just really really good. Like if Quentin Williams plays, he's their sack leader, and he's he's absolutely uh, he's a beast. And like I don't know, dude. This is like you hope Quentin Williams can't play this week because <laughs> he is a problem. But I like their matchup against Ragnow and Jonah, and, and and I really don't fear that that whole thing. Yeah, even if he does play, like you have a, you have an all line here who's we we just talked about how great the all line is. We don't have anything to really fear from the other teams, but you know, Goff just needs to not force things. If he has to take a sack, just take the sack, no problem, and yeah. uh, you know, just take what take what the defense gives you because this is in New York and. They don't have, and you know, the elements are going to be a factor. So they will run. They like from the highlights that I've seen against when they played Minnesota and Buffalo, they stuffed the pass pretty well. But running the ball was pretty was I think their weakness, honestly. Yeah, I mean, um, I I just like one of the things I see about this Jets team too, man, is that like they they kind of got a similar thing going in Detroit though too, man. They got a lot of grit. They got a lot of you know, a lot of team, man, they're rallying around Mike White. It's like, this is going to be our, our toughest test in the last six weeks. And I just uh, I hope we don't come out too cocky and too confident and we remember where we were in the beginning of the season. And we, uh, I just don't want us to fall flat-footed because this would be a horrible time to do it. Yeah, I don't think they're going to come out flat-footed. I think Dan Campbell is going to preach a bit against that because if you listen to his interview on 97 when the ticket uh, Tuesday – he was like, "Listen, we we have two. We have to go one and zero every week. That's the way. That's the way it works." And he was talking about the Jets, and he was like, he was like glowing about them, like they're 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 just like us. They play gritty. They're tough. They're physical. They're mean. And oh, it, you it, down something, Joe. Yeah, you're breaking up, buddy. Oh my bad. Yeah, like they. I'll text him. You keep going out. Do I really? Dan can't. Dan Campbell, I, I, he said he came out there and he said, you know, the the team that they're playing, the Jets, they're they're tough. So I'm I'm not really. I think he'll have the guys ready. Yeah, I um, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to this matchup, dude. And I think um, I think it's something that so probably a closer game. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, I kind of have in my mind somewhere between like. Um, you know, maybe like 27, 24 Lions, or maybe like a 24, 21 Lions, um, but we'll have to see. I think that, uh, you know, it, it can go both ways, but I see uh, the Jets are a pretty good defense, and, and I'm not scared. of I, I, Our offense is good, so I'm not worried too much. Um, it's just a lot of this team is kind of mirrors us in a lot of different ways, so it'll be kind of like playing a version of ourselves. Yeah. Manic, what you got? It's yeah, like the I mean, AFC version of the Lions. Yeah, I, re- I really liked uh, Sala, like the job he did there too. Like, and then, you know, like outside, like I know we're playing this week, but I love Mike White because just how, like how the team rallied around him, their toughness. Like, honestly, they're 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 if the Lions looked in the mirror, they probably could see the Jets there, no problem. Because I think they personify what the Lions are. They're gritty. They're tough. They, they play hard. They and they're improving. And but the thing is, they're kind of. I think they lost their last two and three of their last four, and the Lions are now slowly like have been winning now. So the Lions have more momentum than them, and they can take advantage of that. So you think? Who do you think wins? Who do you think wins? Oh, we, oh, we do. We, we, we're, we're winning this. Like, uh, 
I think we're going to go with the same game plan as New York. I think the Jets are going to be tougher, but I still think we're going to put, I think it'll be like 30 to 23. I'll just say that the Jets fail on their last drive to tie the game with the, against us. Yeah, I look, I look at this game and I, I just I just think that the Lions are really going to, it's going to be a defensive game. I think that uh, it's going to be like a 18-21 game. Like that's what I think. I don't think this the offense is going to look good. On, uh, I think it's going to be a game that the run game has to get going and has to play well. But if uh, we're being honest, like I think the pass game can get going too. I think that you know St. Brown, I think uh, in the slot and Chark or whatever. I think I think they could really open up some things. But I I don't think the defense on the Jets is going to allow any um, you know plays like the Vikings did last week. I mean that that's just not going to happen. And that's secondary, but Jane was getting more involved as well. If they get if they get him like five or six balls, he only catches like two or three, and they're pretty big gains. And they had the key on on him too. Yeah, and it, it this opens up a thing about the Lions' offense. So like, you know, like I was telling Tyler early early in the year, I was like, who are, when Jameson comes back, who are you gonna really key in on? You can't just key in on uh, uh, St. Brown, you because Chark will kill you. You can't just key on and Chark and St. Brown because then Jameson is gonna come out like. And then you got Josh Reynolds and Cleef Raymond who can come out and they can make plays too. Plus you had plus you got swept out of the backfield with the screen they run. Like they they have so many options to go to. And golf is just like a surgeon sometimes when he just goes out and just finds any company that's open. They can't cover all six guys. No. <laughs> like when they're all in at the same time, especially. Like you have options. Yeah, I think this is gonna be a this isn't like last year, like when I think is First, the number two receivers were Terrell Williams and Rashad Perriman when they came in, and I think they both were out after the first game. And then his number one receiver was Quintez Cephas for like, yeah, yeah. I look at it like like last year. Like I think that the, you got off again. Am I cutting off? Um, God damn it! Well, hey, we'll keep her going. We'll keep her going think, until he until he gets back in yeah. here, but um. You guys there? A little bit tougher. Who's a little bit more resilient? Oh, oh shit! Oh, there it goes. Oh, I'm got. I'm in now. All right, all right. Yeah. So just to finish it up, like I think that I think this is going to be a, a critical game for the Lions. I think that if they get it going, I think they get, they're going to they're going to win this game. But I think the next two games are going to be huge for this team moving forward. And I, I I'm just interested to see what they do against these two defenses they got to play next. You're cutting off again, though. <laughs> You're right. cutting off. Technical <laughs> difficulties, baby. Let's end it on a good note. All right. Can you hear me now? Oh, there you went. I'll, I'll catch you guys, man. It was a great podcast. I appreciate y'all for listening. Joe keeps cutting in and out. Yeah, All right. Yeah. So we'll see you guys um, next week. Yep. See you next week. Catch you guys later. Thank you for listening to Detroit Lions News Podcast. I'm, obviously, we had a great podcast. We had a little bit of technical difficulties at the end. But thank you for tuning in to the Detroit Lions News Podcast. Stay up to tune on our Facebook page, Detroit Lions News, our Instagram page, Detroit Lions News. And we're going to try to stick to Twitter and try to try to get that to grow. But uh, I appreciate it, guys. And we'll, we will see you for the post game Sunday against the Jets. Have a good one.